0: You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. This is Just Jonda and welcome to Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda. Today's episode number 82. Gosh, we are slowly climbing to that 100 show mark. Uh, It's called Bait and Switch. And we're going to talk about the case involving the Britney Spears conservatorship as well as the trial of Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos. Now, I called this episode Bait and Switch for reasons that are going to become fairly obvious as we go on, where, uh, where one, the bait and switch may have come in the form of their dad, and the other, well, in the case of Elizabeth Holmes, I think there's quite a bit of bait and switch going on with everybody, even those who think that they are doing things the right way in um, trying to sort of bring down the evil empire that is Elizabeth Holmes, Sonny Balwani, and Theranos. Um, it, it, there's, there's a lot of shenanigans going on there, and we're certainly going to talk about it. And by the end, there's no question that you'll know where I stand. But first, let's get into the case that certainly dominated headlines earlier this week, and that would be this ongoing, long-suffering, I feel like we've all been suffering with it, case involving pop star Britney Spears in this conservatorship that uh, has been over not only Britney Spears' fortune, but Britney Spears as a person that was initiated by her father, James Spears, and has certainly involved quite a few folks along the way. So just to bring you up to speed to where we are now, and and I suspect why we are um, uh, where we are now, Britney Spears uh, has had has been the subject of this conservatorship since believe it or not i mean you say 13 years but when you actually put the year to it it is mind-blowing since 2008 and recent in recent months particularly uh starting in june and then uh once again in july for the first time in many years Brittany spoke before the court and made some pretty shocking allegations that have uh, in, in many of which have been um, uh, the allegations have, have had individuals come out and say, yes, this is the way that Brittany has been treated. And some of the things that we've been hearing over the years from Brittany's perspective have been twisted to make her look worse. Now, um, as a result of her speaking out for herself, the judge did grant her the right to choose her own counsel because throughout this entire time, Brittany was wasn 't even allowed to choose the lawyer who was supposed to be there representing her interests every time this case went to court and we 're talking about situations where her money was constantly being discussed, contracts that have been have been signed on her behalf, as well as an army of individuals who have just been making money and they 've been making money off of Britney, including her father, who was named as the conservator. But as the conservator, he also received a salary. Now, this is a person who didn't have to sit on, sit on top of Britney 24 hours a day. He could have been out working a job or whatever, but he actually, um, received a monthly salary for being the conservator he and others also signed contracts on her behalf that have required Britney to work. They have affected her time. She has also talked about them affecting her sanity, making her exhausted uh, because she's working all the time for money that she has no um, control over how it's being spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills for doctors she didn't choose. Millions of dollars in legal fees, many of which are in contention before the court now, because these are fees that her father amassed and some of them were fees that he amassed when he has been uh, going and trying to, uh, get get a better name for himself with the press like he hired a legal team that was really more of uh more of a team to deal with his personal PR there has been a therapist that she didn't want doctors that she didn't want some that it's fine yes I'll have you know I know I've got to have some therapy I know I've got to have some doctors but the reality of it is that All of these individuals have been doing nothing but spending and the tremendous amount of work that Brittany has done, the many things that are licensed in her name. The show in Vegas where the tickets are really expensive, huge contract for that. And when all is said and done, the accounting of her fortune is somewhere between 40 and 60 million. So needless to say, she and her new attorney, the one that they are clearly scared of, so folks started running for the hills once she chose her own attorney, she now is represented by Matthew Rosengart, and uh, Matthew Rosengart is a former federal prosecutor, and I tell you, based on what he's done just in the few months in this case, he is playing no games, and he's got folks seriously running scared so um, including her dad who's you know kind of still making these moves with the court that make you wonder is he really team free britney or is this just a maneuver in this endless game of chess and i know i've talked to people many have said where there obviously seems to be something wrong with her, things weren't going so great uh, years ago when we saw her falling apart. Uh, You mean the person who was constantly hounded by the press that just had two children and was recently divorced? You know that person? Nobody wants to talk about the inherent uh, sexism involved in this case, and and it's going to we're gonna talk about that not only with this case, but later on when we talk about some of the issues with the Elizabeth Holmes situation as well. Um, nobody wants to talk about that. How when you have men who are a little left or right of center and don't fit whatever the mold is that others think are is normal, Nobody swoops in and takes everything away from them. You have a, a man who has a fortune and is, is behaving in a manner that people think is odd. He's just eccentric. If it's a woman, you better get the money away from that crazy heifer because the whole world's going to come to an end if this person happens to squander the fortune that was built on their backs the only people who really would have an interest in whether she did that would be her and the kids. Well, the kids are with their dad and she pays child support child support that steadily went up as her income went up as contracts were signed for her to continue to do more work that she had no control over doing or agreeing to that her estate would be sued for if she didn't do these things. And often, according to Brittany and others, when she showed any resistance or there was a lack of compliance, then her kids were dangled in front of her and specifically not being able to see them. Or that she was restricted to vacationing in only one place and that of course was also withheld from her when she didn't follow the rules when she wasn't a good little girl and did what they wanted them to do but she can make the money she can choreograph routines she can learn them she can tell people what to do she can do all of that at work but when it comes to controlling her life including her own uh reproductive um her own reproductive choices No, she can't do that. So very interesting. And I hope that folks are taking notice of that aspect of the case as well. So let's jump ahead to the present. There are some uh, motions that were already set for the end of September. So this alleged petition would probably be set that day as well. Current petitions uh, that are standing before the court Uh, that have been going on for months. Some of them related to the money because there are accountings that have still not been resolved. Some of them relating to the allegations that uh, Brittany made, particularly in wanting an investigation, as well as uh, pending motions for individuals wanting to step out of the case or have their roles and uh, have their roles changed, such as Jody Montgomery, who's currently uh, the co-trustee over Brittany's person and um, and of course, uh, issues regarding her dad. So last this week, let's say, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, the press, mind you, the press, not the court. The press received an alleged motion uh, or alleged petition uh, from James Spears' attorneys. Now, notice the press. So already when I'm talking about game pieces and clickbait went wild all over the world that, uh, you know, essentially that her father was giving up. Right. That James Spears had perhaps been Team Britney or, or come to the Team Britney side because he was filing a petition to dissolve the conservatorship. Now, mind you, he's been asked a number of times, at the very least, to simply remove himself as conservator and he wouldn't do it. So now all of a sudden that's changed. Because he could have simply done that. That came up in one of the filings from Britney's attorneys about a month ago. Yet, instead of doing that, he was more concerned with trying to get the court to do things it doesn't even have the power to do, which is to launch some investigation into why Britney made the allegations against him that she made back in June. But anyway, this petition, this clickbait clicked around the world that had everybody thinking, well, Britney's dad is trying to dissolve the conservatorship entirely. Well, what I'm going to do, as we often do here uh, on Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda, is I'm going to put my attorney hat on for a bit and I'm going to go over this petition, uh, the, especially the key parts. And we're also going to explain some of it that may get, into, may get into a little extra legalese that nobody really cares about or understands. And then we're going to really talk about what the, um, shall we say, the between the lines are of what this alleged petition is really saying. Well, it is a petition, but uh, this petition that alleges that he wants to free his daughter. So let's go to the beginning. For 13 years, Brittany Jean Spears has been under the conservatorship of both the person and the estate. Ms. Spears entered into the conservatorship voluntarily in 2008. Now again, that was one of those things where Brittany said herself, she thought that this was something temporary. She knew that she needed help and if this was going to alleviate some of the stressors of dealing with all, you know, everything with her business and all of those things so that she could just focus on getting herself together and being a mom and the things and just doing what she wanted to do and what she felt was important, then fine, uh, you know, take it. Now, of course, there were issues between the mother and father and I definitely still give the side eye to her mother because you went to court and had a protective order granted to keep this man away from you that you allege was mentally and sometimes physically abusive, yet you stood by and allowed him to be the conservator and control everything with a daughter that by all accounts, well, accounts from you, Lynn Spears, that he didn't raise, or at least not all the time. And wasn't anybody that you all wanted around. But here he is. And the excuse Lynn gives for not stepping in was she didn't want Brittany mad at her. Your mom. So if you're concerned about somebody being mad at you, or you're concerned about your daughter being mad at you, that says to me a bit that you're more concerned about whether your daughter's going to continue to pay your bills. So... To this day, her attorneys have never filed a petition to terminate the conservatorship. The, con- the conservatorship has helped Miss Spears get through a major life crisis, rehabilitate and advance her career and put her finances and her affairs in order. It's a bit self-serving. That's essentially to say, I did a good thing. Now, there was really uh, no one that was alleging that Britney's financial affairs, at the very least, weren't in order. Most of the issues were in her personal life. Financially, career was still doing whatever it was doing. She was still putting out music, and she had an entire team around her. Trust me, they were going to make sure the money was fine. The issue was who was controlling the money in the making of contracts. And her career, she was at the top of her game. So what are you talking about? She's in Vegas like everybody else now. Ms. Spears is now outspoken in her frustration with the level of control imposed by conservatorship and has pleaded with this court to let her have her life back. In recent months, she has attended two court proceedings, has certainly made her wishes known about the conservatorship, and asked this court directly to end the conservatorship. So, I guess now we're getting set up in this part for Dad to ride in on the white horse. Let's see. Miss Spears has told this court that she wants control of her life back without the safety rails of a conservatorship because, you know, a woman definitely needs safety rails. We can't just have her out there on her own. She wants to be able to make decisions regarding her own medical care, deciding when, where, and how often to get therapy. She wants to control the money she has made from her career and spend it without supervision or oversight over her own money that seems to be being siphoned off by the truckload. She wants to be able to get married and have a baby if she chooses to. And she probably wants to have that invasive birth control device removed from her body, the one she talked about in June. That's just Jonda commentary. In short, she wants to live her life as she chooses without the constraints of a conservator in court proceedings. As Mr. Spears has said again and again, because he's dad and he's got to come in on that white horse. As he said again and again, all he wants is what is best for his daughter. If Miss Spears wants to terminate the conservatorship and believes that she can handle her own life, Mr. Spears believes that she should get that chance. Okay, so just remove yourself. We had to do all this this is what I'm talking about with the PR and the clickbait. Miss Spears recently testified that she did not know, at least in the past, that she could petition to end the conservatorship without submitting to a full psychological evaluation. I'm jumping in on this again. A psychological evaluation that there doesn't appear to have occurred in the first place. Since she initially went into this conservatorship that she thought was gonna be short-lived voluntarily, there was no psychological evaluation. There was not this, because this wasn't a situation where she needed to be evaluated for the court to determine that this conservatorship needed to be put in place. She agreed to it and then subsequent to that, everybody else around her have argued for it to continue. Okay, uh, given Miss Spears' testimony, Mr. Spears does not know why a petition to terminate the conservatorship has uh, has not yet been filed. So he's basically saying, I was the conservator, but it's not my fault. The attorney I chose and all the other people I put around her, well, they didn't do it so never mind the fact that she's made clear to perhaps me that she didn't want me involved in her affairs that she doesn't even want to allow me in her house that she doesn't talk to me the conservator never mind those obvious signs that she didn't want the conservatorship in place and i could have simply gone and removed myself mr spears however has heard his daughter And she now is pleading for the court to end the conservatorship. Mr. Spears believes that Ms. Spears is entitled to have this court now seriously consider whether this conservatorship is no longer warranted. Wants to give her a chance, but won't stop fighting it. But okay. Next section. Ms. Spears has pleaded with this court to end her conservatorship. On June 23rd, 2021, Miss Spears made an impassioned plea to this court to end the conservatorship. We know that. She explained that she had been told she couldn't end it without going through a psych evaluation, something she simply could not face and that she didn't know if she could file a petition to end it. I just, and this is a quote from her, I just want my life back and it's been 13 years and it's enough. It's been a long time since I've owned my money and it's my wish and my dream for all of this to end without being tested. My requests are just to end the conservatorship without being evaluated. I want the petition. I want to petition basically to end it. Um, she wants to be able to have therapists come to her home if she needs it. Um, given the amount of money they'd be knocking down her door, why should she go out when she knows she's going to be followed? And I would like to progressively move forward and I want to have the real deal. I want to be able to get married and have a baby. I was told right now in the conservatorship, I'm not able to get married or have a baby, of course they didn't put the part in there about the oppressive birth control. So basically this conservatorship is doing me way more harm than good. I deserve to have a life. I deserve to have the same rights as anybody does by having a child, a family, any of those things and more. On July 14th, Ms. Spears again addressed this court and again made a plea to end her conservatorship. quote from that one. I also, again, want to petition the court to end the conservatorship, but only if I don't have to be evaluated. Now, this talk, he goes into a section. This part is fine. The court has the authority to end this conservatorship without ordering a psych eval. Probate code section 1861 provides that a petitioner for termination of conservatorship may be filed by the conservator, among others. You know you, her dad, that she wants to leave her and her money alone. It further provides that if the court determines the conservatorship is no longer required, or that, that the or that the grounds for the establishment of a conservatorship of the person or estate or both, and we know Brittany's is both over her person and her estate, no longer exists, the court shall make this finding and shall enter a judgment terminating the conservatorship accordingly. The probate code does not require that any mental or psychological evaluation of the conservatee, conservatee would be Brittany, be performed before conservatorship is terminated. Accordingly, this court has adequate authority under the probate code to terminate this conservatorship if it finds that this conservatorship is no longer required or that the grounds for establishment of this conservatorship of the person or the estate no longer exists. And we have to I think when we talk about this, you also need to put this into perspective. When the courts become involved in someone's life, whether it's to go full-blown full-blown conservatorship or maybe the appointment of a guardian at litem or those types of things. You are you are looking for the least restrictive means of assisting or you're supposed to looking for the least restrictive means of helping this person and and making and the goals being accomplished but we say the least restrictive means because you don't want that uh you don't want to put things in place that become an impediment that cause more harm and good harm than good and most importantly that infringes on this person's rights your inalienable right to just be free to be a citizen these are things that have to be balanced against the argument that you need some help such that the court and by virtue of the appointment of individuals becomes intrusive in your life and individuals other than you make decisions about you and how you live. I think that for most people, especially um, if they are individuals who can think and work and earn money and love and just be, would, would feel that a conservatorship, not just over your estate, which is basically your money and your investments, but over your person, which is your body, your ability to actually make decisions. You're telling me that I can't make decisions about whether or not I come and go as I please when I take vacations that I pay for about the type, even the type of birth control that I use. But you can sign contracts that require me to work and then I can be sued, my estate, but it's still me because it's my money. Then I could be sued if I don't perform contracts that uh, perform under contracts that I didn't sign because it's been determined that I'm incapable. And we are talking about someone who was extremely rich beyond the wildest imaginations of most people, even when this conservatorship started. Because again, 13 years notwithstanding, Britney Spears has been a mega superstar since she was a teenager. Most of her, many would agree, her best performing years, the height of her music, and the time when a pop star is really a pop star are potentially behind her. Because at the time when this went into place, went in place, she was still in her mid-20s, early to mid-20s. This was, again, the pinnacle of any pop star's career coming right out of the Mickey Mouse Club, straight into its Britney bitch. So when we're talking about the fact that she worked or had to work, she didn't. Now there may have been Arguably, and, and, and not even arguably, I'm sure is the case, there may have been some contracts at the time that she still needed to fulfill, perhaps uh, to her um, record company and others, you know, she's got, there's was Brittany Cologne and all kinds of stuff. So there are I, no doubt there were probably some contracts because again, this is someone whose career was active. She wasn't on the down slope or the still trying to make it she was, you know, was as big of a star as she is now. I mean, she was at the top of her game in terms of uh, being a mega star, but actively performing on tour, what have you. So, understandably, there may have been some contracts that needed to be fulfilled and by the skin of their teeth, they worked some things out with those individuals because, uh, you know, if you're ill and you're having a breakdown, it, you. I mean, fulfilling the contract to do what? I mean, you can't just throw her on stage when she's in no condition to perform. So I get that. However, there has been other things. For instance, the Vegas residency and uh, being one of the largest, those things were not in place, did not exist um, at the time when this conservatorship began. There are absolutely business opportunities that came their way during the course of this conservatorship that were entered into on her behalf and then because the nature of what she does is being a performing artist her fulfilling those contracts required her to actively physically be involved in making them happen they didn't send a britney hologram on stage She's out there busting her tail and doing what, and and performing and appearing whenever uh, they felt it was appropriate for her to appear other places, but conveniently never allowing her to do interviews because heaven forbid Brittany talk about what was really going on behind closed doors. So recent events related to the, re- conservatorship have called into question whether circumstances have changed to such an extent that the grounds for establishment of a conservatorship may no longer exist or that this conservatorship may no no longer be required. You think or are you just a little worried because if an investigation goes down, it's going to get real ugly real fast. First, as noted above, Miss Spears has made it clear to the court, yada, yada, she wants it terminated. Second, after listening to her recent testimony, the court authorized her to select and retain counsel of her choosing rather than appointing counsel for her. In doing so, this court has recognized that Miss Spears has both the capacity and capability to identify, engage, and instruct counsel of her own choice on her own without the assistance of the conservator or the court. If Miss Spears has the capacity and capability to engage counsel on her own, she presumably has capacity and capability to handle other contractual and business matters. Again, you think? In addition to being able to choose and instruct her own attorney, Miss Spears should be given the opportunity to hire her own business manager, financial advisor, and security to protect both her estate and her person. And no, uh, no argument there. Third, Ms. Spears has recently demonstrated a level of independence that calls into question whether a conservator of the person is required. It appears from public media reports that Ms. Spears has been driving in the community on her own. Accordingly, either the current temporary conservator of the person, so this is where he throws Jody Montgomery on the bus uh Jody Montgomery has given Miss Pierce permission to drive on her own, or Miss Spears has taken that right of her on her own. It was also made clear in her statements to the court on june twenty third that Miss Spears wants to control how frequently she obtains therapy where it and where it's given, and of course she wants an opportunity to hire her own people now, this is where Bait the, the bait becomes the switch. Because when he makes what we call your prayer for before the court, so what are you asking the court to do? So he has eight things here. One, it's boilerplate, but first, one, finding all notices required by laws properly given. Okay, fine. Determining that conservatorship of the person of Britney Spears uh, is no longer required or that the grounds for establishment of the person no longer exist. So he wants the court to make that determination. It's not required. Terminate the conservatorship of her person. Okay, fine. Discharging Jody Montgomery as temporary conservator of the person upon settlement and approval of the final report, and a final report account by the court. Keep that account piece in mind as well determining that the conservatorship of the estate of Britney Spears is no longer required or that grounds for establishment of the conservatorship of the estate no longer exists. And discharging James P. Spears as conservator of the state upon settlement and approval of a final report account by the court. Now, why is this tied to money? Notice I said account, there is an accounting that the court is working on for this case that has still been going on for well over a year. And that's not the final accounting that was an accounting based on years, because there's an accounting every year. So let's say that's like the 13th accounting, there still needs to be one that takes it into this year, since we're going to be at 2022, and a final accounting that could take an extraordinary amount of time to go through an accounting on fees that were amassed when Brittany wasn't involved because she wasn't in charge of her affairs. Why should whether or not she is released from this conservatorship, especially of her person, be tied to an accounting that arguably, the only interest she has in it is obviously that it be correct and that she is not ripped off any more so than many believe she already has. But considering that she did not sign any of those contracts or authorize any of the expenses, why would her the termination of a conservatorship, which is far and away beyond <laughs> the least restrictive means of assisting her? Because As I explained, we're not just talking about over her money. This is over her as a human being. Why would that be tied to an accounting that, number one, the court and all of these, you know, the circus around it can't seem to accomplish, certainly not without a level of conflict and potential investigation excuse me, potential investigations that, uh, may grow out of it. But on top of that, you have, um, the fact that she, she didn't put herself into this situation. And I mean, when I say, uh, didn't put herself into the situation, I mean, she didn't put herself into the situation as it relates to the amassing of bills and there is a bond that James Spears had to post as the conservator so if there are so if there are issues with those numbers and he was the person who authorized them or there's money that needs to be paid back or what have you that would just come out of his bond because once he's not conservator those funds should be released to him that's where the money would come from or uh, the court could certainly um, bring in all parties and say look this is what um we are you know we're dealing with this accounting of what has been spent and bills that have not been authorized because of some questions about the bills and what they were for who amassed them and why so there could also be an amount set aside that i don't See why anybody would disagree to, as uh, as it relates to um, the bills that have yet to be paid because some of them are in dispute. Uh, given the le- the amount of money that she has, uh, again, some of us think far less than what she should have, but you know that's again going to be the subject of um, I suspect quite a bit of stuff from years to come, but. Thankfully, based on what she does have, or what the alleged number is at this time, this 40 to 60 million, unlike regular folks, and I mean regular folks financially, she has enough money that uh, her counsel could certainly, and she, if they chose, could certainly agree to an amount set aside that would you know, be at the court's disposal, a bond if you will, that would be at the court's disposal in the event uh, some or all of these bills are authorized to be paid and still have a substantial amount of money to live on, play with, set on fire if she wants to. Whereas most regular non-pop stars uh, don't often have uh, money like that to be able to say okay um, we can set this aside just in case and I still be able to not have my lifestyle diminished in any way most people have to have these things resolved because that is the money that allows them to live their lifestyle and putting some random amount aside does have an appreciable effect on their lives in the case of Britney Spears, because of the amount of money that we're talking about that is uh, at least hopefully far from the case. So I guess we'll see as that relates. So my take on this uh, petition is that this was really more self-serving than for Britney because the conditions that he's asking the court uh, for sort of fly in the face of what the first Three or four pages said, if you feel that uh, the, the conservatorship should be terminated, one of the first and most important steps that you could take is not fight the motions that her attorney filed requesting that at the very least you be moved from the team, because that's one of the biggest issues that she has. Britney and Jody Montgomery, uh, based on a motion filed by Jody Montgomery, have had uh, some disagreements, but for the most part, at least based on what Jody Montgomery has submitted to the court. And just on the flip side, what Brittany and her lawyer have not said, uh, it seems that at the very least, um, whether she wants a conservatorship or not, she and jody montgomery get along to a degree that you know she's not she's nowhere near with her at the point where she is with her father where she doesn't even want him allowed anywhere near her um physically let alone talk to him so there are um so he could simply just have not fought having himself removed especially considering that a year or so ago for health purposes He allegedly was supposed to step down, which is why Jody Montgomery was brought in as co-conservator. So he really was supposed to be taking a lesser role in this as well, which is also why Bessemer Trust was appointed by the court to deal with this, um, to help deal with the estate. Bessemer Trust has also backed out of this because once Brittany made her statement and then she hot she was able to hire her own attorney, folks that went running for the hills and was like, you know what it's it's just not worth it. we we're a big company. we've got lots of other people's money to play around with. We don't need to get involved in this mess because it is indeed a mess. So that is where we are on the uh, on the Britney Spears case. As always, we'll continue to watch it. And as I told my daughter, who's like, "Mom, is this is, is it the truth that you know Britney's finally gonna be uh, finally gonna be free and all of this is gonna be a wrap?" Um, uh, not with. We'll say not with this petition. No. Um, I think that again, it puts it out there. It definitely get uh, for the court. It definitely gets the discussion going because it is, if filed before the court properly, it is a petition to deal with that. However, he's asking the court to consider it under some bizarre circumstances. Uh, in my opinion, it because the money shouldn't have anything to do with it. But we'll see. Next. We are going to talk about Elizabeth Holmes and the Theranos case, and I'm going to take a, a bit of a deep dive into some issues around this case because I think that there is, uh, uh, as I said, there's there's a monkey in the room that's not really being discussed as it relates to um, as it relates to this case, and and I think that it's really important uh, that it is again very similar to. The Britney situation—it definitely has a lot to do with um, with sexism and how Elizabeth Holmes is being viewed, or this um, this image that is uh, they're attempting to cultivate as it relates to her as um, this femme fatale type who has this sway over rich old men who in any other circumstance literally run the world. We're talking in two cases, two instances, two of these individuals were former secretaries of defense, but suddenly because of this rather mousy at best, maybe borderline girl next door mixed with peppermint patty looking woman that suddenly they were so taken in. I'm saying BS and I'm holding on to that. Now, a note about how I'm going to handle the Elizabeth Holmes trial here um, on the uh, here on Let's Be Honest and of course on my companion show, the um my LBDs when I do the legal breakdowns. Unlike some of the other cases, like the R. Kelly case and some of the social justice cases that have occurred in the past, as well as a few upcoming, because the Ahmad Arbery case is 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 really fast approaching and, and getting underway. It hasn't gotten a lot of press, but that case is definitely underway. I believe jury selection on that is going to be starting uh as early Early as October. So the Elizabeth Holmes case, I'm going to handle a little bit different from those in terms of giving you sort of an everyday deep dive. And that is because there are a lot of things with the Elizabeth Holmes case that are very, very technical. And like the R. Kelly case, it is in federal court, which means that we don't get cameras in the courtroom where you can kind of listen to it live and be able to put things into context to follow it follow it along a little bit better and so I think what I'm going to do with this case, and I'm going to put a couple of polls out in my on my various social media to, for my listeners to give me their opinion. I think what I'm going to do with the Elizabeth Holmes case is I'm going to focus on the highlights. Like today, we're going to talk about the opening. Of course, we're going to talk about the closing. And we're going to talk about uh, times when key witnesses uh, specifically talk about the main things at issue in this case, which uh, which is the fraud um, and alleged statements made to, um, to suck in investors or to induce people to invest. Because again, a lot of this case, um, I, especially when it comes to the defense, because it's really the only way they're gonna be able to pull it off, a lot of this case especially when it comes to the defense the best way for them to try to fight it is going to be focusing on the technology and the fact that there is that what she was claiming that there is the that it's it wasn't completely impossible that what uh, the prosecution would have you to believe, which is that she, Went into this being certainly after being advised even before she left Stanford that she went into this from the jump, knowing that this situation was impossible and was just defrauding folks left and right. Now, I think that that is a vast overstatement of what the prosecution's case is, but I think the best way, as in speaking from the defense attorney, the best way for them to do it is to try to characterize this to the jury that that is what she is being accused of that she is being accused of being this person who went into this situation knowing that it was an impossible task and that it was fraud from start to finish and that is simply not the case and if and if you if they can make you not believe that then of course you wouldn't find her guilty Um, I don't think that that's a bad strategy because the reality of it is is that you can't prove that that she didn't truly believe on some level. Because, of course, there did become a time where even if you thought this could happen, and I'm talking about the machines uh, where you could take the one drop of blood and do all of these tests, even if in your heart of hearts, you believe that this could happen, that based on your own ill-informed research or um, you know, or things that other experts were telling you that it could be done. There was a point where she, and, and certainly where the prosecution is gonna argue, and quite frankly, based on my following of the case, I, I'm inclined to roll with the prosecution on this. There was a point where she knew or should have known that it wasn't happening in the time frame that she was allowing people to believe it, and certainly as it relates to the uh, the Walgreens uh, deal, and even when she attempted to entice uh, some investors, uh, telling them that they had some deal with the government as it relates to the Ebola virus. Um, well, testing for the Ebola virus, those were blaring instances where you knew that what you were claiming to have or have available or be able to do, you just, you simply weren't able to do it. And to continue to tout that, knowing that in saying those things and the main reason you were saying those things, especially as it relates to the um the Ebola uh, testing lie that you did those things to continue to bring in money so there is uh, so, and, and I think that that so we know that that's what the prosecution is going to say but because um it, 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 and I, and that's a great case don't get me wrong because that definitely did happen but again from the defense's perspective even if you if one could argue if the jury believes that that is what happened later on then we can argue that that was that those things happened and that she did those things again this is the argument that those things happened and she did those things because she was under tremendous pressure. She had a lot of very powerful people investing in her. They also are going to try to say that Sonny Balwani, the business partner slash boyfriend, was you know abusive to her in some way and, and essentially that there was certain levels of mental distress that she was under that led her to feeling like she needed to make promises that unfortunately she couldn't keep however that is not how she started and that's to be going to be the best way uh, for the defense to argue the case even though that's not exactly what the prosecution is saying all that being said because um the prosecution is going to argue that at least at the time when Elizabeth Holmes began this journey back in what was like 2008, what have you, that at the time she began this journey, there was no reason for her or anyone else to believe that this was possible. In fact, one of the leading scientists in this field at her actual school told her that her first iteration of this type of testing was just simply ridiculous. And so at that point, she began down a road of you know bringing in other folks and getting money uh and investors into the low billions um or certainly i think maybe at one point maybe like 1.4 billion with an overall valuation of the company at about 9 billion at one point um that she knew she was creating this frenzy that would continue to bring in money, not to mention the fact that she had a board that for sure created a FOMO atmosphere when you consider the types of people that were on the board. so. As with other cases, I'm going to so you got a little bit of my commentary, but as with other cases, I'm going to start at the very beginning. The most important thing in all of this is to get to what exactly Elizabeth Holmes is charged with because there's been a welcome tom because there's been a lot of talk and and this is where the press in in the different documentaries has in the thinking they're doing some service to the public. They have done, um, I think a bit of a disservice in, um, Muddying the waters in this case, uh, muddying the waters in this case quite a bit by talking about Silicon Valley and how that's the place where people will invest money knowing that there is a chance that they're not going to get it back. And that Silicon Valley creates this atmosphere that's more about uh, dreamers, this fake it till you make it, as opposed to people being hi christabel as opposed to people being flat out scammers that they're not scammers they're more so dreamers who are faking it till you make it that silicon valley is this place where people with big ideas go out there and they you know, get get all caught up in getting other folks to dump money in because they want the next Zuckerberg, they want the next uh, Apple, they want the next Microsoft. And so, I think that part in in talking about this case, there has been this very um, interesting balance, and sometimes unbalanced on on either side depending on who is reporting or doing the latest documentary on it between making elizabeth's homes out to be this uh villain this charlatan as opposed to being just confidant or um this femme fatale with these old men i'm gonna get into that in a minute that's some nonsense um Versus her being a a dreamer and just another Silicon Valley operative, just another Stanford dropout who was going on to make their fortune. And everybody who piled in money to this company did it more or less with the understanding that you're rich, folks. If you lose it, you lose it because you know that you're going into something that's highly speculative because she could be the next Zucker- Zuckerberg or she could not. So there is has been a lot of stuff around that, but because of that, it has very much gotten away from what... what exactly she's charged with. And that's also another reason why I think a lot of this trial is going to be, um, go down this road of of very technical stuff with, um, with an arsenal of experts going back and forth about whether or not this was really possible. I mean, even on the latest documentary on Yahoo Finance, they showed a company right now who is working on doing, or at least attempting to do, exactly what uh, Theranos was allegedly supposedly doing, and um, of course, when she made the Walmart—I'm uh, sorry, the Walgreens deal—that she led uh, the public, and certainly, and investors, and certainly Walgreens in particular, that she led them to believe that—and uh, I say she, but the company uh led uh these investors and buyers into believing it was actually doing so that's that's also a a piece of it as well because then you have you bring up that question well when she started it and for the many years it was going on it was not happening had there been more if given more time would it have happened so again was she deliberately trying to defraud people Um, that's what the defense is going to say. No, she wasn't. The government is going to say that all of that goes out the window. All of that goodwill or benefit of the doubt as it relates to what was possible then versus what could have been done with more time, uh, additional staff, better work conditions, and all the other things that um, a lot of the people that worked for Theranos Talk about that perhaps uh, it would have, uh, that it was not going to be possible. She knew that it wasn't going to be possible. And even if, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, but even if in her heart of hearts she believed that it could happen, all of that, now I'm back, (laughs) all of that goes out the window because at certain points she actively defrauded people, or at least attempted to, as as I mentioned with the Ebola thing, and again with the Walgreens deal. And um, I'll talk about that in a second, because I know you all are like, you keep mentioning the Walgreens deal, I don't know what the F you're talking about. Okay, so we'll get into that in a second. So let's start at the most important place, which is the charges. I am taking this, so I'm going to read it, but I'll try and, you know, skip over some things that we don't really need. So she is charged in the Northern District of California because this is a federal case. So I am taking this directly from the U.S. Department of Justice. And it's U.S. versus Elizabeth Holmes at all because, of course, you have uh, uh, Ramesh Sonny Balwani. Everybody knows him as Sonny. So Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani are charged with two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and nine counts of wire fraud. So we already know there is money flying back and forth, right? Because when you're getting these investors, how are they getting the money? And of course, you're communicating this information. You're communicating this alleged false information. Of course, through various means to include over the wires, internet, television, all of that. According to the indictment, the charges stem from allegations that Holmes and Balwani engaged in a multi million dollar scheme to defraud investors and a separate scheme to defraud doctors and patients. So, of course, that's where you have the situation where they made a deal with Walgreens to put these machines uh, that were basically the size not uh, basically the size of a small CPU to put these machines in Walgreens stores so that people could actually do the little fingerprint the, the fingerprint test in the store the machine would run the test and then provide them with the feedback couple of issues with that in terms of the alleged fraud, of course, is that A, the machines were not providing that feedback. The information was being sent uh, to Theranos and they were actually using machines from other companies to do the work because their machines didn't actually work. And on top of the machines not actually working, when you did use data from the machines, it was inaccurate. And by the way, those other machines from those other companies were made in such a way that they require more than just just a pinprick of blood, which means that you're going to be putting information in a machine. Even ones that are established uh, machines um, for uh, blood testing, it's not even going to be enough uh, of a specimen for them to use. So again, you're talking about the potential for um, bad test. And obviously if people, doctors are being given this information or patients are being given this information, this, we are now not just talking about investor issues. We're talking about potentially life-threatening activity because of people acting on test results that they believe are real. Both schemes involved efforts to promote Theranos, a company founded by Holmes and based in Palo Alto, California, because Balwani came on a little later. Theranos was a private healthcare and life sciences company with the stated mission to revolutionize medical lab testing through allegedly innovative methods for drawing blood, testing blood, and interpreting the result patient data. Long story short, uh, she was trying to come up, they were supposed to be coming up with a little machine that could literally be anywhere, airports, Walgreens, wherever, where you get a pinprick of blood. For those of us who have had various reasons for getting our blood taken, some of us more than others, I'm a cancer survivor, so I feel like a pincushion in the amount of uh, pricking that has gone on with needles for me, that this would be great, and especially even for kids, you know you get the little finger pin prick, literally a drop of blood it goes into a machine and it can run a battery of tests um there were times when they claimed this thing could run from like 75 to 200 tests for you know just a myriad of things like finding out you know maybe you've got blood pressure issues you know like all kinds of stuff so at any rate Going further, Holmes and Balwani use advertisements and solicitation, so this is where the wire comes in to encourage and induce doctors and patients to use Theranos blood testing laboratories, even though, according to the government, the defendants knew Theranos was not capable of consistently producing accurate and reliable results for certain blood tests. It is further alleged that the tests performed on Theranos technology were likely to contain inaccurate and unreliable results. And then, like I said, several employees on the Uh, You know, you can find a gazillion podcasts and specials and stuff, all of this. Um, They all say that half the time that the blood tests that they did do uh, were not even performed using the machines because the machines didn't work. They weren't capable of doing what she wanted them to do, or at the very least, as as at least a couple of her people said, at the size that she wanted it done because she was fixated on it being done in, in this smaller machine. And I get it because obviously the smaller the technology, the more uh, places it could be if you're going to have you know, stuff as big as any random blood testing center, then that's going to, one, be cost prohibitive for places to have because it would be this major piece of equipment. And two, why the hell would we buy it if it's no different than um, just sending my clients out to LabCorp or if I'm a medical facility that just happens to have my own lab, then I don't need it. The indictment alleges that Holmes and Balwani defrauded doctors and patients, one, by making false claims concerning Theranos' ability to uh, provide, this is the part I was talking about, the data, and omitting information concerning the limits and problems with Theranos technologies. So they didn't put a sticker on there like you find uh, uh, with cigarettes that tells you that uh, Theranos can be bad for your health. In essence, it could give you crappy results, <laughs> in which case, help God help you in your health. The defendants knew Theranos was not capable of consistently producing accurate and reliable results for certain blood tests, including tests for, and this is important because these are things that they led people to believe it could, tests for calcium, chloride, potassium, bicarbonate, HIV, HbA1c, HCG, and sodium. The defendants nevertheless used interstate electronic wires to purchase advertisements intended to induce individuals to purchase Theranos blood tests at Walgreens stores in California, Arizona. So that was big Walgreens deal. Through these advertisements, the defendants explicitly represented to individuals that Theranos blood tests were cheaper than blood tests from conventional laboratories to induce individuals to purchase Theranos blood tests. And that part, we've, we've even seen like commercials for that. According to the indictment, the defendants also allegedly made numerous misrepresentations to potential investors about Theranos' financial conditions and future prospects. For instance, and this is just on, based on my own research, they were trying to, in, there was one investor that they were trying to induce, and I mean, we're talking like big money. Um, Cause he had already had invested in them personally, but then they wanted his company to invest this. It was like 2014. They had not had a financial audit a required financial audit um that they wouldn't have gotten away with if it was a public company because those things have to be filed this was a private company they hadn't had one since 2008 so you want to talk about flying by the seat of their pants and part of the reason is because they had like a big company doing i mean kpmg i mean big name but the one that they did in 2008 was already held up and kpmg wouldn't sign off on it uh because they had some issues with the way that sonny balwani in his compensation package when he came on that uh the stock he was given was deliberately undervalued at the old price so that basically he got an instant windfall when he signed on because on in his paperwork it said one price but the value of it was already higher when he actually began working there and there's uh people who've gotten in trouble for that businessman on wall street et cetera. so there, that was a bone of contention. And so that was one of several reasons, I suspect not the only one, that that particular um, audit didn't get signed off on. So they hadn't done another one in years. And she, again, was kind of pretending to this potential investor, oh, well, we just don't allow them to go outside of the office, but never actually said that. No, we hadn't done it. Um, So one of the examples they give here in the indictment is they say, for example, the defendants represented to investors that Theranos conducted his patients' tests using Theranos-manufactured analyzers. When in truth, Holmes and Balwani knew that Theranos purchased and used for patient testing third-party commercially available analyzers. The defendants also represented to investors that Theranos would generate over $100 million in revenues and break even in 2014 and that Theranos expected to generate approximately $1 billion in revenues in 2015 when, in truth, the defendants knew Theranos would generate only negligible or modest reviews of uh, revenues in 2014-2015. The indictment further alleges that they used a combination of direct communications, marketing materials, statements to the media, financial statements, models, and other information to defraud potential investors. Now, this part is is kind of interesting because what it conveniently does not mention is that a lot of their investors came on because of who the other investors were, who some of the other people were on the board. When you have people like the DeVos family and two or three of the Walton heirs and Rupert Murdoch investing just that group investing a combined total of over 330 million dollars then you're gonna have other rich people who then join in because of what they are seeing and that is what people like this count on um it's something uh it's you know you learn something new every day it's something that's um a lot of companies and and people have have gotten in trouble for. And now there is a category that addresses this with the SEC. It's called affinity fraud, essentially associating yourself with a group of people that, uh, that makes you look attractive to investors. Now in fairness, I don't think all the affinity fraud was necessarily committed by her. These individuals were defrauding themselves her next door neighbor, when this first started, gave her a hundred thousand, I believe it was like a hundred thousand dollars. He had been one of the initial investors in like hot mail and all that kind of stuff. Because this, this woman, just in case you don't know, comes from a family with money. Her father was a former Enron executive and like her great, great grandfathers, like they're like the Fleischman's margarine people. So she was never going to be poor. So and and certainly wasn't. So they were very well connected. But once you get somebody uh, like him to invest and then you put someone on your board like a George Schultz or Henry Kissinger. And I mean, and these are the types of individuals who were on her board. And we're going to talk about that a little later. You don't think that uh, general mad dog, Maddox uh became a part of that board uh in large part because one of his fellow secretaries of defense uh William Perry was also a part of the board I, and I'm not going to lie and that's the that's the great thing before uh for charlatans when it comes to affinity fraud if any of those individuals were on a board of a company that I was looking at or thinking about investing in I would do it, no questions asked. What do I look like saying, I don't want to be a part of a board that has, you know, Henry Kissinger, George Shultz. Most of these people I don't even like, but I know they have money and I know they follow the money. They can smell the money and they stay wrapped up in money. So what? So what do you do? You go with the money. How do rich people stay rich? They F with other rich people. So let's be clear about who gets the blame for this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that because we are also gonna circle back to some of that sexism stuff I talked about earlier. So all right, so where was I? Blah 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 blah. Information to defraud, defraud potential investors. I'm still on the Department of Justice um, page. So they said specifically, they claimed that Theranos developed this revolutionary proprietary analyzer that the defendants referred to by various names. Okay, we know that, that, that was a little mini lab machine. They claim the analyzer was able to perform a full range of clinical tests using the blood draw. So the bottom line is based on what they claimed that they initially what they were developing, right? Cause the early investors invested on the strength of what was being developed. And then there was a point where they were like, okay, we got it. Look, we sold it to Walmart. Or in the case of when she was trying to get an investment from what was the company BDT. um, Then of course, then it was like, not only do we have it, but the government is looking at us being their go-to folks because there's an Ebola crisis going on, and we need to we need to be on that. And our mini lab is capable of not only um, determining whether or not someone has uh, Ebola, but we are capable of uh, doing an antibodies test, which they weren't an antibodies test that would help to catch it at its beginning stages before the person even showed symptoms now wasn't true there are ways that the machine had to work highly technical i won't get into it but the point is wasn't true so the indictment uh further alleges that holmes and balwani knew that many of their representations about the analyzer were false which again is where they um some of this really falls apart for uh, Holmes and Balwani um, in saying that their intentions were genuine and that um, yes, there are people who lost money, but that's the nature of the game. You're investing in something that we are working on and hope to accomplish. And then once we get it done, we still have to sell it because remember, if, if you're developing a product, once the product is developed, it could be revolutionary and everybody buy into it, or it could be revolutionary and people still don't buy into it. Cause they're like, we're good with doing what we did. We don't feel that this is, um, adding some tremendous value to, uh, to our field. Now, with her idea if it was able to be done it, you know everybody knew it, it could be but again it's still speculative right she could have they could theranos could have actually accomplished this and still nobody bought it not saying that that would have happened likely not however it could happen and that's the nature of speculative invest uh, investments um where you're hoping that not only Is what the in this particular case because of the development side of it, not only are you going to make it happen, but then people are going to buy it as well. Welcome floxy so. The indictment charges each defendant as I said with two counts of the conspiracy and nine counts of wire fraud if convicted they face a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and a fine of $250,000 plus restitution restitution for each count of wire fraud and each count of Uh, of conspiracy. So essentially, that means for those of us who are not mathematicians, and I've got to whip out the calculator, that these two could be facing uh, 220 years in prison each. I mean, you know, not going to happen. And up to... Times one. That's not going to work. And up to $2.7 million in fines. Now, I think the fines are given. They've already, uh, she's already paid various fines over the years. Company is basically, the company has no money. Um, And and it's really interesting because a bunch of rather interesting things have occurred with this in terms of just. Uh, this image that she cultivated, right? Where she was uh, sort of wearing, she was gonna be like the female Steve Jobs with the Izzy Miyake turtlenecks and all of that, the uh, clearly put on deep voice and the frazzled hair because you wanna show you're not all girly, And, uh, you know, of course she had that one picture with the red lipstick on the cover of Forbes with that title, this woman's out for blood. And then again, clickbait, get you into it. And so... This is one thing I'm going to talk about, because obviously, so we know what the defense and, and the prosecution are going to argue. I don't have to go chapter and verse through their um, opening statements. We know the prosecution, first thing out of their mouth, they said, this is a case about fraud and about lying and cheating to get money, period. And that she reached a point, and I pretty much alluded to that just in my analysis, where you're pretty, uh, running out of time, out of money, and... You had to make some, um, you know, you cut corners and you flat out lied. The defense, on the other hand, is saying that, uh, and I love this quote from the defense, the villain the government has presented is actually a living, breathing human being who did her best, uh, who did her very best each and every day trying your hardest and coming up short is not a crime. So that's Lance Wade, the defense attorney. I get it. It was quite poetic. It was lovely. And in most circumstances, he's right. I think, again, it's obvious where you go astray is that there was a point where whether she still believed in her product or not, And I, and I think that she probably did because they were continuing to try to do it, but in running out of, uh, in word about running out of money and people wanting to actually see a product produced, uh, there was word getting out that it was on some BS. You also had the, um, the big article come out about it. So when those things happened, it was like put up or shut up and that's where things got a little crazy and also to keep your valuation up you got to keep that money coming in and you've got big people there now let's put that to the side i think there's a lot of games being played in terms of uh the home's image in terms of uh from now the defense they're doing their job so the fact that they want to get away from the weird affected voiced turtleneck clad, um, you know, evil witch of Theranos that has been put out there for the world starting out being cool, but now it's like, ooh, that's just all part of her fraud and whatever, you know, to, uh, you always have to humanize criminal defendant. Why? Because they're a criminal defendant. You know, when I represent people charged of the most heinous of crimes, I've got to humanize them. I can't have them. If, if people already think your person is a monster and you don't do anything to undercut that, then it really doesn't matter what you say um, unless you've got a smoking gun showing they, are, they could not have possibly committed the crime. But if the jury thinks that your person is a monster, they're going to convict them of any freaking thing so I mean the the prosecution's case would have to be flat out ridiculous on his face for you uh for them to lose if you don't try to make your client someone that even if they can't exactly relate to them, that it's somebody that seems like it could at least be their neighbor or the guy sitting across or woman sitting across from them at the cafe and no less human or at least somewhat as normal as the rest of us even if it's not somebody that would ever be your best friend so i get that and so of course they're pointing out that she's newly married that she just had a child that some suspect in I say some because I might be one of them. <clears throat> Conveniently timed uh, th- to be pregnant with the trial, but the trial got put off, so she had the baby. Uh, COVID threw a monkey wrench in that. So, um, but where uh, this is a, a thing that I want to take a quick dive on because since I probably should not have done Brittany and Elizabeth in this same episode, it's a little bit longer than I thought, but it's just a few thoughts I want to leave you with what about the board? What about the fact that these individuals were not just investors? These were individuals who, if you have a board of directors, are allegedly supposed to be a part of the actual direction that your company goes in. Now, I am going to give you a basic, you know, a a, a pretty much basic definition of board directors. And I mean, this is something to pull on Google's anything. Your board of directors is, in some places, is an elected group. We know that here, uh, their board of directors, uh, hers was uh, chosen. And they represent the shareholders. Now, we know that unfortunately doesn't always happen, but that is truly what they're supposed to be doing. The board is the governing body that typically meets at regular intervals to set corporate management and oversight policies. Now, every public company must have board of directors, but many private companies do as well. It kind of really depends on um, it. Kind of really depends on uh, the size whether or not they will do it. But they are fiduciaries. If you are supposed to be. Um, responsible to the shareholders not necessarily responsible for them but responsible to them then you have a duty to make sure that the corporate uh, that the corporation is running properly sometimes they are even empowered to hire and if necessary, fire some of the top corporation's employees. I'm sure that it's if you're listening to this podcast, you've if you've not been on a board of something at some point, you certainly have seen a movie or a television show where there's a whole deal because the board is voting to throw out somebody, in, uh, up to and in, in including the CEO or removing the person who's the head of the board because they feel like somebody else should, it's better suited, or maybe don't want that person there at all. So we know, even in a very um, non-collegial, just basic watch television kind of way, what a board of directors is supposed to be there for. So if all of this malfeasance was occurring, what the hell was her board of directors there for? So you mean to tell me that her board of directors didn't know that they were a part of some affinity play? Of course they did. That's why they were able to attract the type of board of directors they did. And they also wanted to make sure that their names were on as part of the board, perhaps even a founding board, or at the very least, a member of the board of directors of this company when it finally had its major explosion of greatness because Theranos was going through the roof because this machine was created and these big deals were being made. This is why when George Schultz's own grandson who worked at Theranos came to him to try to talk to him about what he was seeing and saying, hey, there's some problems here. That his own grandfather sicked lawyers on him. Why? Because he was the member of a board. he was a member of the board and he knew that he needed to protect somebody. Now I suspect in this particular instance they were defending themselves. There's also a reason why there was all of the, most of their major investors not all, but some of their major investors including board members have agreed not to sue. Nobody was being fooled here. These individuals knew that they were on a board for a company that was dealing in a field that until much later, no one on the board even had expertise in. Her initial board of extremely powerful men, like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, not one of them had a science background and hell, she had only been to Stanford for a year. So what happens to uh, Henry Kissinger, George Shultz, William Perry, um, Mad Dog Maddox and others? What happens to those individuals when all of this comes out? Nothing. They run for cover and the press, even a press where there's lots of women, all buy into and support this narrative that this plain, at best, young, rich woman who went to Stanford, got a big idea and decided she was going to be the next big thing. Oh, and once she wore red lipstick on a magazine cover, that she was some kind of femme fatale that had this group of men all wrapped around her fingers. We have heard words being used, even by the very individual who exposed the Theranos story, writing the book, Bad Blood, used words to describe her saying, she put old men under her spell it was the deep voice the intensity the unflinching way of looking at you she made you feel important someone who everybody notices doesn't blink and stares at you that's sexy for 95 percent of the rest of the world that's considered creepy People typically notice when someone doesn't blink because they're creeped out by it, not turned on by it. So let's be real about what it is that is really being said here. But then on the flip side of that, you also say, well, she could turn on a dime because, you know, that's what women do. Right. We turn on a dime. Not that we just have more than one element of our personalities. And so then she turns on a dime and she becomes this crazy bitchy bully and she's willing to steamroll people. What's that about? So all of these tropes are being used for her but let me tell you why that falls short and becomes very convenient first of all because of the very individuals we are dealing with being the leaders the captains the head like i said forget about calling them the round table in any other circumstance when you have all of these people in the room of course maybe when they were 20 years younger they would be you would have the Justice League, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you would have, I mean, they would be evil, but (laughs) you would have these individuals who you would say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you have all of these uh, people in the room, let alone that they're all working together on the same project. I mean, the level of brilliance that must be coming out of there and the leadership, and you've got generals and former secretaries of state Oh, my God. But now that everything is falling down and there is this woman at the head. All of these men were duped. It leads me to ask, what would be the excuse if Elizabeth Holmes was Elijah Holmes? What would be the excuse if Elizabeth Holmes was Edward Holmes? Then would we be able to, will we say that these people were hypnotized that the voice and the intensity that they just fell under her spell? No. Now, yes, they would still be trying to, cause they're all very powerful, right? So they would still blame the lead person, you know, captain goes down with the ship, but they would damn sure have to come up with a better way about why they were that why they were following him into battle. They would say, well, he was a general, he was commanding, he did all this, and everybody just followed them along. Now they might say that they were a bully and steamrolled people. But this femme fatale trope would go completely out the window. Now I'm not saying that this person was uh, you know, that that Elizabeth Holmes was a genius, but she's no dummy. Not by a long shot, because however this whole thing comes about the fact that it happened is what makes this story so extraordinary especially given that it devolved in the manner that it did i mean this is some bernie madoff type ish but on the tech side depending on which way you believe it but all of the men get to walk away another place where this falls short is have you ever seen the women who historically are viewed as femme fatales type it in right now while you're listening f-e-m-m-e fatale f-a-t-a-l-e yeah because it's not fatal it's fatale why don't you type them in none of them look like elizabeth holmes in fact you'd be hard pressed to even find a blonde but hair color notwithstanding Fem Fatals are Jessica Rabbit. Fem Fatals are Marlena Dietrich. Modern day Fem Fatal would be um I'm sorry I can't remember her name but the um the Israeli woman who plays Wonder Woman. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um these are people who, if Hollywood had to cast a movie and they called him a femme fatale, someone who would hypnotize men, who, someone who with a mere whisper, with the sway of their lips, with the way that they move their hair, even with a simple gesture, whether towards you or something they did, those are people who fit that trope, who instantly would have a group of men of any age dropping to give them 20 million. Those are the individuals and none of those describe Elizabeth Holmes, who by all accounts that we saw, went out of her way to make her even her her already plain look even more haggard and plain and that is not to say that she is unattractive because this is not uh for those who are listening this is not a referendum on her looks i'm just calling it the way that i see it based on the traditional tropes of what men and women especially here in america tend to look at in terms of being traditionally attractive and traditionally the person who falls into that category of hypnotic looks or gets you sucked in even if she we say, okay, well, move away, not she, she didn't, it wasn't like sexual in the purest femme fatale sense. And it was because they, you know, they were drawn in as they say men are because the person has this motherly thing. She doesn't fall into that either. No June Cleaver, no Mrs. Brady, none of that. And again, seemed to deliberately go out of her way to not appear feminine, right down to the infamously affected voice. So interesting. And the thing that makes it even more sickening that this is being put out there, which then forces someone like me to sound like I'm trying to rip this person apart. The fact that this is being put out there is not just insulting that it's being put out. Cause we know people will say anything. It's the fact that it is embraced and people run with it. Like it's a real thing. And these individuals who any one of them have accomplishments that belie things that many of us will ever accomplish in our entire lives, no matter how hard we try. At least from a professional standpoint, um, these individuals hell that accomplished more than what Elizabeth did other than building this corporation. And now she's probably going to end up in jail. These very beyond accomplished individuals get to just walk away saying, Oh, they were just taken in by a little, whatever. And the fact that they were sitting there with this unknown person that they helped to create this affinity, this FOMO among their other peers, their, the other captains industry and politics. I mean, this, everybody from the people on the board, the Clintons, the Obamas, everybody and their mom. I talked about the Waltons, the DeVosses, Rupert Murdoch, and all the resources that he has available to him in running a news agency for a gazillion years. Why did they go in not seeing any financial reports? Why did they do it? Because their friends did. Because their friends did. Because there's many companies that do well every day that some of these people don't invest in, but they did it in this one. So we know why they did it. And sure, you can call it affinity investing and you could try and blame it on her. But did she really stack that board alone? She didn't know all of these people. She knew one or two. And then the rest came because of who the others were. And especially when you look at several of them are involved in the world of politics, of course it was. Let me call my boy. I know he'd be down with this. But they all get to just walk away. And I'm not suggesting that Elizabeth should either. Not at all. I think that she, you know, is where she needs to be in terms of being tried and the courts will decide as the courts will decide. Whether she goes to jail or not, she is certainly going to be put into a situation where no amount of money is going to um, make her life, uh, it's going to make her less of a villain. Um, And and she'll probably be able to pay it. Between whatever personal income she has, uh, whatever that may be, um, and whatever her family uh, still has, even if she was given the maximum fine, they could pay it. I can't remember exactly who she married, but he wasn't poor. Poor guys wouldn't get to meet her. So, um, again, I just want to leave that with you all for something to think about, because I think with both of these cases, there are some bigger issues in terms of the patriarchy that um, also you need to look at and consider, especially given that this is 2021, these are relatively young women. And this is the this is the stuff that is still coloring what we do and who the heroes and villains of every story is. So again, this is just Jonda signing off. I'm gonna be on later to do a very different kind of show <laughs> with a friend of mine about the Real Housewives, because we like to have fun here as well. So that's gonna, um, that'll be live tonight at 1015. Today is Sunday, September 12th, so. That's why I'm saying tonight 10 10.15. And it'll also be up on all of our other stations. So thank you for hanging with me, whether you popped in midway. I'm also going to put some uh, timestamps on here just in case people want to listen to one story versus the other. So I will make sure that that is in the information box on this particular episode to help with that. And as always, I really appreciate you all hanging with me. You can stay in touch, follow me, leave me uh, DMs. I do answer them. And you can find that uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Let's Be Honest, JJ, that's L-E-T-S-B-E-H-O-N-E-S-T. Also, uh, I have email, so if there's anything you wanna send me, any stories you'd like me to talk about, things you'd like to review, legal questions you may have that you think might be interesting or you wanna talk, um, certainly feel free. I always vet everything, so don't send me nonsense because I will block you. Um, and uh, please, if you have iTunes or iHeartRadio, go over there, listen to the show, gives five stars and a review i'd love to hear from you and of course it helps with uh with our, the more numbers we have the more people will see us and your girl can do a lot more uh, on the network because i really really enjoy uh doing this and as i said you can find me wherever you listen to podcasts i'm on well pretty much all of them <laughs> so google amazon verbal podbean of course here um gosh, what? Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Acast, uh, all of them. So I am out there. And remember, if you're interested and want to talk about it, chances are I'm interested and want to talk about it too. So let's be honest together. Thank you and good night.